0: Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that like comes up to him and he says, you know, I'm looking for this dude who's new on the scene and who's flashing this fresh tech, who's got like bomb moves, right? Who you got? And she's like, well, we got everything nowadays. We got a guy who jumps. We got a guy who swings. We got a guy who crawls up walls. You gotta be more specific. And he's like, I'm looking for a guy who shrinks. And I'm like, damn, I got all nervous because I keep mad secrets for you, bro. So I asked Ignacio, did badass tell the stupid fine writer chick to tell you to tell me because I'm tight with Ant-Man that he's looking for him? And what'd he say? He said, yes. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions.
1: And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the mango fruit blast of the MCU.
0: So listen up, a-holes. We're going to talk about Ant-Man... All right, Lonnie, here comes some four color facts because why would the MCU force me to talk about one Ant-Man when it can force me to talk about two sure. when instead we should be talking about the Wasp? Right. <laughs> Let's start with the OG Hank Pym, mm-hmm. right? Hank Pym appeared for the first time not in a superhero story. Mm-hmm but he actually appeared in a science fiction story called The Man in the Ant Hill. Wow. He was a scientist who tested shrinking technology on himself and wound up being chased by ants. <laughs> now, according to Stan Lee, that story sold so well that he decided to make Hank into a superhero. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, this original story was in 1962 and appeared in the pages of what was a sci-fi anthology book, Tales mm-hmm. to Astonish. Mm-hmm which we get a little nod to in the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought that was fun. Yes. Eight issues later of Tales to Astonish, we had the debut of Hank's alter ego, the Ant-Man. Awesome. So Pym is a biochemist who discovered some subatomic particles that he dubbed the Pym Particles. Mm-hmm. This is honestly kind of a running theme. Like Hank Pym is like the third smartest guy in the room all the time and if he hung out with different people he would be by far the smartest guy Uh uh-huh and this is kind of a thing that like hangs with him his entire life (laughs) but you can tell at the beginning he was all like you know swagger and big dick energy because he was like oh these particles that i just discovered pim particles baby
1: (laughs) you know i would like for just once i don't think we're ever going to see somebody who has a huge discovery where they can name something and they don't name it for themselves. I mean, that's almost <laughs> always what happens, right?
0: Well, sure. And in the MCU, come on, it's yeah. all egos.
1: Yeah, not to mention you got that nice alliteration working for you. You know, exactly. you got to run a, with it.
0: An early Marvel staple. You yeah.
1: Know. What's he going to call it, Zima? I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> I think we've all learned our lesson. <laughs> right jan would have showed up shrinking down small by using zima but she would insist on dropping jolly ranchers in it (laughs) dating the hell out of ourselves with these jokes and i regret nothing (laughs) so hank yes (laughs) hank uses his pin particles to create two serums Mm -hmm. one that would shrink him and one that would regrow him to normal size later he would use the growth serum to become a cyclopean human being as giant man
1: wait how did the growth wait wait i'm sorry i'm I'm sorry to interrupt but there's an important question to be asked here how does the growth serum like make two eyes into one eye
0: (laughs) oh i'm sorry that just means gigantic
1: (laughs) i thought cyclopean means like isn't the whole identifying um like characteristic of a cyclops the one eye
0: okay buckle up a-holes because here's a rabbit trail (laughs) so i I have recently been reading Uh uh-huh a translation of the odyssey yes The translation is the first one done by a woman, or at least the first one published that we know of done by a woman. It was uh, uh, by a professor named Emily Wilson. Mm -hmm. It is very interesting to read because her translation is amazing, but the Odyssey is so far from what we would consider a narrative (laughs) these days (laughs) that it's been. A little tricky for me to actually get through, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but the translation itself is amazing. And she actually goes into some detail in the notes about the Cyclops. So uh-huh. uh, it might just mean giant. <laughs> And the one-eye thing came along later. It's a little bit unclear, but that's definitely the thing that has percolated from 6,000 years ago down into our pop culture subconscious. Sure, sure. Nevertheless, the word cyclopean can just mean gigantic. And thanks to reading H.P. Lovecraft at a formative age, I really like it.
1: Uh Aha, I see. So I apologize
0: for all of that confusion for literally everyone who's forced to sit through that part of this podcast.
1: No, that that was well worth it. i I love those i love those little moments when i force you to go off book and i never know what i'm gonna get i love
0: it uh the timing on this one could not be better because i literally have two more chapters in that translation of the odyssey i am nearly across the finish line so
1: look at you go being all well read and whatnot
0: Uh, well i'm one one tries and it is a bit of a struggle Uh, so the giant serum, the growth serum, when you just use it on yourself at a normal size, makes you giant, right? Mm-hmm. It just makes sense. Sure. it makes it makes comic book superhero science sense, and it makes more comic book superhero science sense than this movie does. We'll get to it. Uh, so, and he would call himself giant man some okay. of the time that he was a giant man. So sure. you know, sure, right?
1: They keep it simple, you know what I'm saying?
0: Well, yes, except that (laughs) Hank has had a lot of costumed identities, and he didn't even always call himself Giant Man when he grew. Sometimes he was Goliath. (laughs) Now, as I mentioned, his first appearance before he was Ant Man nearly caused him to die in a stampede of ants after he accidentally fell into their anthill. Uh-huh. Because of this, Hank began to study ants and created a helmet that would read his thoughts and translate them into something ants can understand. Mm -hmm. So with this helmet, he can communicate with and control ants. Pretty Mm -hmm. cool, honestly. Yes. I mean, it's not like you're a number one, I've got a superpower kind of superpower. But at the (laughs) moment that you're like, I'm tired of messing with you, ants, get them. And the dude is just crawling in ants. You're like, damn, that is actually terrifying. No,
1: because the thing is, a single ant is, you know, a single ant. But if you especially if you look at it to scale, you know what ants can do. It's kind of it's kind of superpowered. I mean, it really is.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. On their
1: scale. Yes. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. What ants do is actually part of how we get spider-man's powers because yeah. one of the wor- one of the phrases that we hear all the time is the proportionate strength and agility of a spider yes so it's proportionate like what a spider would have if it were human sized mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah. definitely some ideas that are on stan's mind circa 1962 just uh, I bet. you know. Yeah. now a bunch of other bat shit crazy stuff has happened to <laughs> Hank Pym, much of it involving Janet Van Dyne, the Winsome Wasp.
1: Oh, okay, hang on. The Winsome, her actual name is Winsome Wasp, not Wasp. So
0: her name is the Wasp, uh-huh. but very often, especially when Stan was in charge, your superheroes would get nicknames or appellations, right? And a lot uh-huh. of times you would get them in the titles, like you had uh, the Uncanny X-Men. There All was right. never a book just called X-Men. Well, okay. That's not exactly true. Most of the time, (laughs) the book is The Uncanny X-Men or The Amazing (laughs) Uh Spider-Man, right? Okay, okay. And so you would get nicknames, right? Like everybody called Iron Man Shellhead. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody calls the Human Torch Matchstick. Yeah. People call uh, The Incredible Hulk, The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. But also the Jade Giant or Jade Jaws. I don't really understand that second one, Mm -hmm. honestly, but whatever. All right. All and right. Janet's was the winsome wasp because okay. she was like very much like go get them adventure person, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, but also like very, very sort of like bubbly and cute, you know, kind of kind of situation. So uh-huh. okay. the winsome wasp. And this mm-hmm. is why my vocabulary is what it is. Right. <laughs> I want to blame H.P. Lovecraft. Real talk. It was Stanley. I'm right. just you know. now that's already more than I kind of wanted to say about the wasp, because in the interest of time, I'm going to wait and talk about. A couple of wasps in the movie that has her name on it right Mm -hmm. but in addition to batshit stuff with the wasp some of it was becoming giant man and Mm -hmm. then goliath and then way later he also called himself the wasp and also he called himself yellow jacket which just Uh put a pin in it we'll talk about it in a minute (laughs) holy (laughs) crap (laughs) but as you may recall from our discussion of the interminable weekend at ultron's (laughs) Hank is the original creator of the robot psychopath. Sure, uh uh-huh. And also, as I mentioned there, after decades of them going round and round one another, they were eventually fused into a single being full of a lot of self-loathing since Hank and Ultron still really hate one another despite sharing a body. (laughs) And just like last time, I am not going to go into any more detail on that because it's pretty fucked up (laughs) and it's not even the most fucked up thing Hank ever did because we still have to talk about Yellow Jacket.
1: Okay, all right, fair enough.
0: But first, let's talk about Scott Lang. Uh Uh-huh. Much like the film, Scott Lang is an electrical engineer who turned to burglary. Yes. I personally love the movie making him like a corporate vigilante. That is Mm -hmm. 10 times better than he couldn't support his family, which is part of the story in the comic book. Mm -hmm. And it is 1,000 times better than his original motivation, which was, I kid you not, electrical engineering is really boring. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well when you're bored what else are you going to do aside from either like eat indiscriminately or turn to a life of crime those are your choices
0: well but again it's burglary and yeah. i like how they make a distinction of this in the movie because he is not a robber like he mm-hmm. does not threaten he doesn't anyone. threaten it's people all about he the doesn't challenge scare for him, people right?
1: it's about that yeah yeah
0: so Of course he was caught, because Uh that's no way to run a railroad, right? (laughs) He serves four years and gets bounced out for good behavior. Uh He continued to study electrical engineering while in the big house and was snatched up by Stark International upon his release. Mm -hmm. So even before he was Ant-Man, Scott helped install a new security system in Avengers Mansion. Mm -hmm. Like he was around the super people, you know? Yeah. When Scott's daughter, Cassie, grew very ill, Scott went to the only doctor that could save her, but unfortunately, Dr. Sondheim was having the bad luck of getting kidnapped while Scott was visiting. Oh. Scott broke into Hank Pym's house, swiped the Ant-Man outfit, and wore it to break into cross-technological enterprises. Yes, that's Darren Cross. We'll get to him. He's Mm -hmm. actually not that interesting. (laughs) And he saves Dr. Sondheim, who in turn saves Cassie's life. So Scott Mm -hmm. saves the doctor as Mm -hmm. Ant-Man, and the doctor saves Cassie pretty good deal yeah there you go scott was confronted by hank who by that time was calling himself yellow jacket we are getting to it but (laughs) scott was prepared to return the costume and actually turn himself into the authorities but hank let him keep it as long as he continued to use it as a hero Uh uh-huh now i want to mention also i've mentioned cassie a couple of times here and she is adorable as hell in this movie and she Mm -hmm. does have some superhero stuff going on but I'm kind of hoping that it actually happens on screen. So I'm just gonna put it in my back pocket for now.
1: All right, that's fine.
0: Okay, just for the people out there who are like, tell me about Cassie, I know a little bit about Cassie. Someday friends, I really (laughs) hope. We get a whole second generation of Marvel superheroes. You know? Yeah,
1: you got to tease the listeners, keep them coming back, man. Can't give it all well, away. And we're
0: we're we're getting inklings of this, right? Because yes. we've got a new Captain America post mm-hmm. Endgame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna assume the spoiler embargo is over. You guys, come on, what are you doing listening to this podcast <laughs> if you haven't seen Endgame? It's weird. Um, so you've got that, and you've got like uh, uh, a couple of options, like a Ms. Marvel that they're talking yeah. about bringing into mm-hmm. the MCU, and. Tony's current in comics replacement, there's a lot of great options there. Yeah. So, to wrap up Scott, his powers are basically the same as Hank's with the size changing in the ant controlling, Mm-hmm. but eventually he breathes enough of the Pym particles that he can change size at will. He no longer needs the devices.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: He also died once and mm-hmm. then got accidentally brought back to life by a time travel. Okay. Sure, it, it, comics. Not right. And then he got into some shit while Captain Mm -hmm. America was a Nazi. Yes. And then he left Earth to hang with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Comics, everybody. (laughs) All right. Yellow jacket. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) So once upon a time, after Hank had been stuck in his giant form for a really long time and he couldn't cure himself, so that kind of decimated his self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And after that, he got mentally reprogrammed by Ultron back to the version of himself that first started as Mm Ant-Man. And then the Wasp was able to break that programming. And after that, Hank came back as Yellow Jacket. And for a bit, he was Hank wearing different clothes. Yeah. But then he had a psychotic break that left him, frankly, more toxically masculine. Uh Uh-huh. You know, more aggressive, more angry, more hear my deep ironic air quotes confident right you know during this time he referred to himself only as yellow jacket yeah and did not recognize himself as hank pym like when other people were like but you're hank pym he was like hank pym sucks and i'm not him you know two crazy ass things happen during this time first of Mm -hmm. all yellow jacket proposed to the wasp and even though she knew he didn't think of himself as hank she liked this version of the man she'd loved and figured this was her only shot to marry him so she said yes and they were married wait a minute
1: so he wasn't going to ask her as himself but he asks her as yellow jacket and she's like well this means i get a ring so she just married him yes <laughs> i love the way you as a man <laughs> i can almost feel you like tensing up across the miles <laughs> it's
0: bad it's bad like no, it's clearly yeah, written sucks. by dudes on a variety of levels yeah that sucks Jesus. It, it sucks for everybody involved yeah, like yeah by and large janet which again we will get to but she is an amazing character and i mm-hmm. actually like her way more than i like hank yeah. way more but this this you got to remember a couple of things. None of this is mitigating factors, by the way. It's just kind of like you can go, okay, I see how this happened. Right. (laughs) No one could pull this nosedive out. Uh Uh-huh. So a lot of this early Marvel stuff is being created by the men who literally invented romance comics. Mm Mm-hmm. And romance comics are big soap opera craziness, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so if you go back to a lot of this early Marvel stuff, it's all big soap opera craziness that also has costumes and supervillains in it. Right. We talked about this with Daredevil and how mm-hmm. pages would be covered with warring thought balloons as Karen loved Matt, but Foggy loved Karen, but also loved Matt, and Matt loved Daredevil, right? Like it's. <laughs> right. So this will they, won't they, that they had been doing with Hank and Jan, where Hank was like too much of a milk toast to ask her to marry him, even though they had been together forever at this oh point. Oh my God. Right? And yeah. every woman is just rolling her eyes and God bless you, ladies. That is the correct <laughs> response. <laughs> but then her boyfriend, her longtime love of her life has a psychotic break. And as you say, she's like, yes, my chance. Oh my What the shit? God. Yes. I now, don't even know.
1: I don't even know. It gets
0: worse. Oh, no. <laughs> because this is also when Hank hits Janet on panel. Oh. Oh no. And gained a reputation as a domestic abuser for basically the rest of his metafictional life.
1: Oh God.
0: Now, now. There's so much going on here. Just Mm -hmm. go with me and we will talk about it because Marvel has repeatedly attempted to recreate him as a loving husband Mm -hmm. and even as a mentor to like a new generation of superheroes. He started Mm -hmm. an Avengers Academy. Yeah. The readers of Marvel can never quite forgive him for hitting Janet, though. Good. And I'm not saying they should. Yeah. But, but I would like to point out that this was during a storyline where he was having a mental breakdown that Janet was exploiting. And I am not saying just everybody hold on. (laughs) I am not saying that she had it coming or anything terrible like that. But that feels like if there was ever going to be like a redemption arc that would stick. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Like. I was literally not in my right mind. Like, you guys knew that. I wasn't even acting like myself, you know. Right. Well, if okay, so here's the gonna thing. anybody was going to be able to come back from a from a, I mean, for God's sake, Tony Stark's a war criminal. It's cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? Okay. Well, here's the thing. All right. <clears throat> First of all, it's no, very, no, no. very complicated. I defend
0: but... none of this. I need no, you no, no, to hear no. this. <laughs>
1: no, no, no. I get it. I totally understand. I'm not saying that you're defending it. What I'm saying is that when you have a situation, especially in these kinds of like heightened, you know, fantasy superhero, you know, alternate universe, you know, not not based in our reality universe uh, stories that we have characters who say get possessed by, you know, you, like Buffy, you get possessed yeah, by yes. a, a hyena demon. And then what you you're do. When raves. you're possessed by the hyena, you are not responsible for like later on. You're not responsible because it was the hyena doing it. Now here right. we have him in the middle of a psychotic break. I think the fact that um, Janet took advantage of that is a separate issue altogether is not a mitigating factor in any way from the fact that he hit her. Um, I agree. If he, if he is overtaken by the effects of, you know, whatever kind of superhuman mango juice, this guy is on, Right. <laughs> you know that it can alter who you are. But the thing is, and this is what it comes down to, right? is that it can't be, oh I was possessed and now, you know, I can it's fine and wipe the slate clean, right? Um yes. it has to be this and the thing is that these opportunities for story and for like grinding the hell cuz like it, the best way to tell a story for the writers out there is torture your characters. Just torment them. Make things as terrible for them as possible. Anybody out there struggling with your writing, just go in and make the world just a shit show for that character. Torment <laughs> right. them, right? And one of the best ways to do that is that when somebody is under the effects of uh, possession or of whatever, like you don't know what was you and what was the thing. Like what was you and what was this, you know, for the lack of a better, you know, um, example, the hyena possession, right? You know. Well, we, um, have,
0: we have a really excellent example of this recently, like with Kilgrave.
1: Yeah, exactly. He
0: doesn't just make you do it. He makes you also kind of want to do it.
1: He makes you also kind of want to do it. And when you're done, you feel like Jessica felt responsible for that, you know, but she was under his control. But at a certain point, you don't know what's you and what's not you. So when you have a possession storyline like this, where somebody does something like really terrible and then comes back, you have this opportunity for this wonderful internal exploration of what kind of person am I? Do I even know what kind of person I am? And this kind of stuff like opens up wonderful um, opportunities for that kind of not necessarily identity as in, you know, what roles do I fill in the world, yes. but like personal sense of self stories, like when that personal sense, when you are not sure that you know who you are or that who you you thought you were turns out to be different because you did that thing you know it was like bucky right and um i think we haven't gotten to this yet where he said i did those things you know uh, that's, yes, that wasn't yes, you but, but I, I did still them, did them. I, I did those things like that is such an important question for us to use our fiction to talk about because most people at some point in their lives are going gonna to do something that they are ashamed of and they may be under influence of alcohol or drugs or mental illness or uh, or just a really, really hard time, that there's a time in your life where you're just so worn out that you do something that's, you know, that's not who you thought you were, that you thought you would never do. And in those moments, you really have to take a look at yourself and figure out who you are, you know, and who you are in essence and in stories and in life, it, who you are comes down to your choices. What choices did you make, you know? Um mm-hmm. And so with a storyline like that, you have such a wonderful opportunity to have Hank struggle with who he was. But if he just came back and was like, well, yeah, I hit her, whatever, you know, bitches be crazy, and then just moved on, you can't be forgiven for something you don't acknowledge and apologize for and then try to find redemption for. And depending on how bad that thing is, how much redemption you have to work toward, you know, like figure out who you are. That is an amazing talk about tormenting a character that is an internal. Torment. That is something they cannot, no matter where they go, they bring that with them everywhere. So to miss that opportunity with him seems like just leaving, leaving story on the table. And guys, what are you doing?
0: Well, here's, here's the good news. I kind of have yes. two levels of response to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I guess kind of the broader issue and you being a big, long soap opera fan will yes. also feel me on this. Mm-hmm. Mental illness has been like a story mule Mm -hmm. in the worst way for decades, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, From I got a bump on my head and I have amnesia all the way Mm -hmm. to evil twins and multiple personalities that don't Mm -hmm. work like that, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And what I would say now, it being not 1974, I think it was somewhere in there, Mm -hmm. is that a story like this would be a really big opportunity to treat that in a serious manner that is also as understanding as some characters should be to Hank. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if Jan is not there to forgive him, that is her right. But somebody ought to be taking care of that guy and helping him with his mental health, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And that of course did not happen. It was 1970, whatever.
1: Right. Mm -hmm.
0: However, I will say he has shown up and been tortured by his various and sundry bad life decisions Uh many times. Okay including stuff with Yellow jacket that he's probably the least responsible for, so to mm-hmm. speak, you know yeah. mm-hmm. um, I mean he was essentially sane and hale and healthy when he created Ultron and it's just like, I don't know what to tell you, Hank, that's a big fuck up you know right. <laughs> You are in the middle of like a manic depressive psychotic break and you mm-hmm. hit the woman that you love because she was like being kind of frantic about that. like I'm again, not okay, but mm-hmm. it's kind of a different order. Of, of conversation, maybe mm-hmm. not for Jan, but for everybody around him. Right. Um. And that, like I say, that did not happen, but, but they definitely like wore him out on this. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of the reason that it keeps sticking is because yeah. Hank really is like a perennial also ran mm-hmm. who way overdoes it. Like he yeah. keeps creating robots to prove that he's a genius and they almost always go bad, you know? <laughs> Stuff like that, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I can make myself humongous. Cool, you're stuck that way. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's an interesting, it just is interesting to me also, the things that kind of stick to these characters that have been around for a long time. Yeah. Like, he cannot, for whatever reason, in the minds of the readers, be redeemed from this one moment in time, mm-hmm. even though we're all literally supposed to be cool with Captain America now, despite the fact that he was a Nazi for a minute. Yeah. And... and Tony Stark remains a war criminal Mm -hmm. or Hawkeye literally started his career as a costumed criminal Mm -hmm. or, you know, all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just really, it's not good or bad. What sticks? It's just interesting to me in sort of a fictional anthropology. I don't know.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) So lastly, I'm honestly, I'm kind of ending with a whimper here. Darren Cross. (laughs) darren cross is based on a villain from the comics but honestly he's not that interesting uh-huh. I, I barely remembered him yeah you know and some of that might be that i was not enough of an ant-man fan to actually read things that just were about ant-man most of the time right. mm-hmm. in the marvel universe cross was a successful scientist and businessman he started cross technological enterprises but mm-hmm. due to overwork he developed a heart condition oh he had to use an experimental nucleo-organic pacemaker to save his life. Mm-hmm. This device supercharged his circulatory system, which mutated his body and gave him superhuman abilities. Comics, everybody!
1: All right, yeah.
0: But it also tended to burn out his heart.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: he absolutely became the kind of asshole that got heart transplants to prolong his wife by stealing hearts... Oof. from like homeless people that were kidnapped or whatever oof yeah yeah he's a bad dude yeah he discovers that scott lang's daughter cassie mm-hmm. had been exposed to enough PIM particles incidentally that she did not change sizes herself but it yeah. did do something to her heart that mm-hmm. looked like it would survive operating with his pacemaker forever essentially Uh huh. You know? uh-huh. and so he kidnaps cassie To have her heart stolen that actually happens (gasps) and he He has her heart and dr sondheim puts a different heart into her to keep her alive jesus it was pretty wild
1: (laughs) how old was she
0: she's a little kid just Uh, a little kid
1: oh that's not that's not good that's some dark stuff
0: it really, it really is. it oh really is. like mm-hmm. I I don't even know, I don't want to say like I defend it's just fraught, you know? Yeah. Like this guy yeah. is clearly the worst possible dude. And here yeah. he's he's been stealing homeless people, and that's bad, obviously. Yeah. but then he kidnaps this guy's daughter, yeah. because of her incidental exposure to PIM particles while he was using PIM particles. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. it's just I, it's so accidentally mm-hmm. Scott's fault you know mm-hmm. yeah it, you know, it's that marvel magic right like is this really your fault it's enough my fault i'll feel terrible forever you know yeah uh, so unfortunately or from our perspective he got what's coming to him
1: right
0: having a PIM particle infused heart gave cross uncontrollable growing and shrinking abilities uh-huh after the movie came out he got some yellow jacket armor that looks suspiciously similar to the movie's version Mm -hmm. that helps him control the size changing powers and that's Mm -hmm. really all i've got for darren cross he's boring as hell (laughs) and seems even more so after we're talking about yellow jackets and burglars that turn into superheroes i mean come on
1: (laughs) well yeah he was he was he was an interesting Maybe not interesting. Maybe interesting is the word villain for this movie. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Let me go through the production history real quick.
0: What they do for this movie is so much more interesting than random heart-stealing billionaire heel. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> All right. Ant-Man is the 12th film of the MCU. It came out in 2015. It was directed by Peyton Reed, written by Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish as one writing team, and then Adam McKay and Paul Rudd as another writing team with the story by Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish. Now, ordinarily that many writers on a film is not a great sign, but since writing teams really count as one writer, it's not so bad. It's okay, but there's a little bit in this history here that kind of indicates some trouble. Uh, Edgar Wright, who uh, if those of you who aren't familiar with Edgar Wright, he's a, a fantastic director. He's known for his direction of the Cornetto trilogy, starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, so Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. Uh, also directed Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, um, and so he's done a lot of stuff. He's got a really, really interesting visual style uh, directorially. And if you're not in, if you're not familiar with Edgar Wright, I suggest going down that rabbit hole um there's actually some interesting stuff there he does some really good work edgar wright was originally brought on to ant-man um because he was supposed to both write and direct but in 2014 and let's not forget the movie came out in 2015 in 2014 wright left the project citing quote-unquote creative differences and i'm telling you something marvel really is the bad boyfriend of hollywood they just cannot keep a date interested People are constantly falling off. I mean, usually it takes one movie complete movie before they're like fuck that I'm not going back Um, Edgar Wright didn't even make it to directing he wrote the original script or at least most of it he developed the original story with his uh, writing partner Joe Cornish and then it was picked up by the story was picked up by um, Adam McKay and Paul Rudd and then Peyton Reed came on to direct the film itself Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting because we do see a lot of this shaking up in the background at Marvel um, and that that makes it a little bit suspicious you know, you know, it's just not good. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh,
0: yes. I mean, even if you are the most generous version mm-hmm. of the bad boyfriend theory yep. to Marvel, they're like the really exciting bad boyfriend that you enjoy yes. for a few months and then you They've go... they got
1: a motorcycle and they play a bass guitar. But... Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, that was fun, but I'm gonna grow up before I die.
1: <laughs> yes. 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 Um, yeah. This is just... Uh, Marvel is... Is really interesting to me. And I'm finding, like, the Marcus and McFeely have been working with them, you know, all along and doing really well. But then again, there's lots of money. At this point, there wasn't quite as much. Um, well, no, there was. There was, actually. This is post-Avengers. Marvel was a big deal. Pre-Avengers, mm-hmm. Marvel was a big deal, but they were not the... Own, right. you know, they didn't own the box office the way that they do now. But in 2015, they really did. Although this was a much, much smaller movie. I mean, Ant-Man is a smaller stakes film uh, than most of what we've been seeing in the MCU. And it was kind of a good thing for them to be able to sort of dial it down a little bit for this. Because we've had like, you know... The galaxy is going to be destroyed, and you know the world is going to be destroyed, and alien evasions and everything. And so now we're kind of taking it down a little bit, making these stakes a little more, a little more personal. They have they have broader implications, you know, if you have. Um, you know a uh, yellow jacket with this kind of power that there there are a lot of implications for that but um, but overall you know I mean it's it's a smaller stakes film and I think that that's you know that's a good idea because we can't have every single movie you know blowing out yeah. the universe you know it's just in it's fa- a bit fact, much in fact please don't yes yes absolutely um, so we've got uh, the major stars we've got Paul Rudd as Scott Lang aka Ant-Man and of course Paul Rudd is absolutely I mean I don't. I don't know. Did you? Does anybody not like Paul Rudd? Do you like Paul Rudd?
0: Uh, I love Paul Rudd and have loved Paul Rudd since Clueless.
1: Right, I have too, and I'm just like I. I. I don't want to presume that everybody loves Paul Rudd, but I don't know that I know of anyone who doesn't like him. Although I'm sure there's some hipster asshole out there who's like everybody <laughs> likes Paul Rudd. I hate him. He's a jerk. You know? um, Yes, he does have an aging you know, portrait of himself in an attic somewhere. I get that. But, <laughs> uh, but he's sweet and he's charming and he's fun. I, I love Paul Rudd. I enjoy him in everything he does. I think that he is, he's really, really great as Scott Lang. Um, Evangeline Lilly is Hope Van Dyne. Evangeline Lilly is, is not as universally beloved as, uh, as Paul Rudd is. So she's an interesting kind of counterpart to him. Um, I don't know. Did you watch Lost?
0: Um, I did watch and was massively disappointed by Lost.
1: Uh, Lost is really interesting. That's a discussion for another day. Um, but a, she a was a whole
0: other podcast. But but let me tell other, you, I yeah. loved Evangeline Lilly on Lost yeah. so much so that had my child been born a girl, uh-huh. he would have been named Evangeline, or I guess Aww. she theoretically would have been named Evangeline. I love that name. She's it's a so great good. name.
1: It's a great name. I actually did like her on Lost. A lot of people hated her, and I think, but it was her character. Yes. It was interesting the actress and the character. I think that Evangeline Lilly did a fantastic job with the character. That was, you know, a little bit of a problem. But, you know, again, I'll talk about that on another podcast maybe someday. Um, we have Corey Stoll as Darren Cross, um, a.k.a. Yellow Jacket, And uh, he was interesting. I've only um, seen him in uh, House of Cards um so I don't know if you saw that.
0: I have not.
1: He was kind of um I don't know, he was a he's a very weak man, um, in, in House of Cards. And so it's interesting. I like him. I think he makes a good villain. Um, of course, like he's so clearly beyond villainous the more interesting villains are people that you can look at and be like you know sympathize with even if you don't agree with their methods and what they're yeah. doing and you know that what they're doing is wrong but it's much much more interesting I mean, he is just straight out you know evil music playing every time he's on screen you know dark <laughs> shadow lighting like everything he's he's clearly completely villainous and that's fine because it's it's functional narratively it's functional all the antagonist has to do is block the protagonist that's it so he's got one job and he did it and that's fine
0: I also appreciate lack of nuance in my yes. douche bro villain.
1: Sometimes, yes. I, I mean, I,
0: because he is that particular flavor of right. douche bro.
1: It is. It is a very particular flavor. I tend to prefer, I think, a little bit of nuance in villains in general, but I don't take issue with it when they don't have it because they got one job. You know, that's and yes. you, if you do yeah. that job, you're fine. You know, I, and there I was like a
0: little it. bit going on in this film.
1: A little bit a little bit um i don't know yeah anyway um michael pena as luis and i absolutely adore luis luis is probably like one of my favorite things in this whole movie
0: <laughs> he's pretty fantastic he's i feel like cute. if it were anybody other than paul rudd he basically would have stole the movie entirely
1: yes exactly and it is only because of paul rudd's um almost almost inhuman
0: it's his his preternatural charisma
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that keeps it, you know, firmly in in his in his hands rather than going off to Luis. But Luis is fantastic. Absolutely loved him in that. Uh, we've got uh, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. You know, um, and he's he's good. I like Michael Douglas. He's kind of a classic, you know, classic dude. He has his he now he's you know older and he's got that kind of gravitas to him. You know, um, and I'm more willing to take him a little more seriously now than I did in, say, like, Romancing the Stone.
0: <laughs> oh, well, yes. Uh, that said, Romancing the Stone is amazing. We will fight you in the street over it.
1: Oh, Romancing the Stone is fantastic. I love it. But it's a different kind of, it's a different brand of Michael Douglas. And I actually really like, I like this brand. Um, and, you know, it's a small moment, but I was really pleased to see Sam Wilson as Falcon kind of getting getting in a few licks with Ant-Man. And, you know, it was actually, I think, a really great idea because they're in the middle of the heist you know they got to take over this like avengers facility or whatever um and being able to put paul rudd as ant-man up against somebody that we have seen kick some ass at this point you know that gives us it's it's a nice little you know kind of comparative measure there so we're saying okay like if he can get the best of falcon then that means that he he lands in the Avengers range of like, you know, badass. Whereas otherwise, I mean, because it's hard. I think you've got these little ant, you know, somebody becomes tiny. The sense of their power is really, really hard to sort of get across. So having him, you know, get the best of Sam Wilson, I think was pretty cool.
0: Let me say this is actually a superhero move is to have a relatively new character show up and fight a more established character and Mm -hmm. beat them. Yeah. And... When you're overdoing it mm-hmm. you on the DC side they show up and beat Batman and when they're overdoing it on the Marvel side they show up and beat Wolverine right and you're looking at this and you're like that guy just showed up this is bullshit but right mm-hmm. if you get somebody who is like strongly on the bench or at top tier B list
1: yeah mm-hmm. you know
0: like the Falcon it's like this is you're doing it you're doing it
1: it's Good about job. right right you know he doesn't he doesn't have to get that far right away. You know, like yes. he, he, you know, so I like I like that. I thought that that was fun. Um so this movie got an 83% from critics and 86% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's very good. It's low-ish for a Marvel movie um because people tend to really like those. Um but uh, but it's a, you know, it's a solid showing. That is that is not an embarrassment. That's just I think fine. it's
0: about right for the movie too, honestly.
1: Yeah, I think it's about right for the movie, too. Um, According to Box Office Mojo, this film made $519 which is okay. You know, I mean, when you look at it against all the other Marvel movies, it outperformed Captain America, the first Avenger, the first Thor movie, and The Incredible Hulk. Uh, But those are all pre-Avengers, before Avengers blew the lid off this whole thing in a really unreal way. For a post-Avengers movie... $519 $519 million, eh, you know, but at the same time, it's a smaller film. It's a B-level hero. It didn't have as much of a budget. It didn't require as much, you know, in, like, you know, investment from Marvel to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually for, to create a, a tier of B-level movies, you know, yeah. um, that can perform like that.
0: I think they're kind yeah. of afraid to do that a lot. So it's nice to see that work out with Ant-Man. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not at all embarrassing. It's nothing compared. It's okay. It's half a billion dollars. Right. right? And I'm saying it's not at all embarrassing.
0: It's not at all embarrassing that they have (laughs) half a billion dollars, which is enough money. It should be a crime to have that much money.
1: Exactly. It's just comparatively to the other Avengers or the other uh, Marvel movies. So, you know. I mean, it's all relative, but, um, but anyway, so that's where we are with the production history. Uh, let's go ahead and move into this movie overall, Joshua. Um, how do you feel about this movie? What do you think?
0: Okay. So (laughs) I really enjoy this movie. Yes. But I wish that it would stop reminding me that we should have skipped it and gone right to a wasp movie. Right. Mm-hmm. It never stops rubbing my face in the fact that I am only enjoying this Ant-Man movie because of Paul Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> and because Michael it Paine. clearly wants you yes. to think it should be a wasp movie. Why yes. isn't it? So Right. Yeah. yeah
1: I like it very enough.
0: much. It's a lot of fun, but I will never shake the feeling that it just we we should have just skipped it. Like, why is yeah. this not about hope? I don't get yeah. it. But yeah. that's not a negative on it because the movie itself brings this up constantly.
1: Yes. Mm hmm. Yes. What about yourself?
0: <laughs> How did you feel about Ant Man?
1: It's really interesting because I've never been so bored by a movie that I like a lot of elements in. Like, <laughs> um, I, I, yes. I think what it comes down to for me is that we've got structural problems, we've got a protagonist problem, and the problem with the protagonist is that. Like the protagonist, a well-drawn protagonist is going to be the POV character. They're going to be providing the motive force for the story Mm -hmm. through their pursuit of a goal that is personal to them and has the most at stake if they lose, right? Um, Here, we're in Scott's POV, you know, absolutely, for the most part, but we do spend a lot of time in Hank's POV. You know, and Hank is actually the one who is providing the motive force through his pursuit of a goal. And that is one of the strongest, like all of the other things about a protagonist. The POV usually comes along with the person who's in pursuit of active pursuit of a personal goal. Um, so POV can you know kind of it's it's one of the important things, but it kind of rides alongside that. Um, and having the most at stake if if he loses here for Scott, we have a lot at stake, you know, um, with Cassie. But until the end, it's he just needs money. You know, like, or he's going to lose his daughter. And there are other ways to get money. So it's not like he has to do this thing. So it's kind of weird. Um, Hank is actually, I think, our protagonist, but he's much less interesting than Scott. And so we're spending all of our time with Scott because he's Paul Rudd. You know, um, right. but actually all of the narrative movement and momentum is coming from Hank who I don't know about everybody else. I care about just a lot less, a lot less, you know? Um, So we've got all that stuff. Then we've got hope, you know, Evangeline Lilly. And, and we spend all that time with her being like, I should put on the suit. I should put on the suit. I should put on the suit. While the men say, pat, pat, baby, <laughs> Paul Rudd's here. Shut up. Sit down. Right. Oh. Um, <laughs>
0: And the fact that they have to make her kind of like, and I mean, I'm choosing my word specifically, mm-hmm. shrill,
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: you know, is yeah. like, but she's right. And, mm-hmm. you know, right. shut up. But also men.
1: she's right. But the reason why she can't wear the suit is because daddy doesn't want her to. And when when Scott comes out and says, you realize that I'm only here because I'm expendable. Right. Yeah, part of that is a nice moment because he is explaining something to her that he understands and sees through her father's perspective, but she can't see and also kind of giving her access to uh, to a path to understanding the way that her father loves her. So, I mean, there's some of that that I actually like, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, Rudd, you're you're expendable. The When when a movie has your protagonist sit down and say, hey, you know what? I don't even matter here. Right? Yes. That's a time to realize that you are not, you don't have everything balanced. The central narrative conflict doesn't have Dick to do with Scott. And there are other thieves in the world. Hank doesn't need Scott. Then on top of it, okay, this is the thing that makes me insane. I hate villains with stupid fucking plans. All right. So here we have Hank, right? Who has like... He can't know that four levels deep of this plan is going to end up with Scott <laughs> breaking. He has to get a tip to Luis um, and then be sure that, you know, Luis could A, convince Scott to do the job, B, that Scott would be successful at the job, C, that he would take the suit when he went and found this suit in the middle of this thing, uh, D, that he would put it on once he did, and E, that he would hit the button that makes him tight. Like all of those things, a good plan controls for the variables. This is a plan that almost invites more variables in what there's only a million different ways that this could end up i have no time yes let's fuck around with this just on the off chance he would have had better chances of winning lotto than all of these things lining up and yet all of those things happen through no skill of hanks through no you know really actually skillful manipulation of the variables at hand he's a goddamn scientist if anybody should understand variables it's this dude and this is the stupidest plan and it's all so that we have scott right we have this you know this dumb plan so that we can put scott in a precarious position where he's being arrested again right and great fine i understand that but you're doing all of this so that you can make things worse for your protagonist which is what you should be doing except that scott is not your protagonist scott is almost like uh, absolutely expendable In this film, he does not matter. He's completely irrelevant. He's there because he's Paul Rudd and we're giving him some interesting things like this thing. He wants to spend time with his daughter. He's having trouble with that, which is also a problem Um, because like his, his ex-wife, you know, who like he's in jail, but she knows he went to jail for this Robin Hood shit, which is also something that we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, And he's been to jail. He, he just got back. He's trying to get a job. Um, He's trying to turn things around and she's like, no, you haven't paid child support. He hasn't paid child support. He's been in prison. He can't, you know, but this is his kid. Look, clearly you're doing okay. You're not living on the street. Yes. I mean, trust me. I know what it means when somebody is supposed to pay you money and they do not. Like I, if anybody have complete sympathy for that, but you know, she, this kid loves her dad. It's her birthday. Her father should be, if he's not a danger to her, he's not going to kidnap her. He's not going to do something terrible. He just hasn't been able to get a job yet to pay this child support. Um, You know, she's fine. Everybody's fine. The kid has a home. Everything's okay. You know, clearly Judy Greer is not out you know turning tricks to put food on the table, you know. Um, So the fact that she's like, oh, no, you can't see your daughter because you don't have money. Um, and he's not a danger to his daughter. And we even have Judy Greer later telling the kid, no, he's not a bad man. He just gets confused sometimes. Like, that whole thing irritated me to death. I just, Like, it was one of those things where we're like, we just have to make things as difficult as possible on Scott without actually making him somebody who, who fucked up bad enough that he can't see his kid. Because, yeah, he went to jail and he just got out of prison, but he did it doing Robin Hood stuff, which is you were saying you like that. I don't like that. I don't like that because what it does is it doesn't make him morally culpable for anything that he's done. So here he is in the situation. He went to jail, but it wasn't fair. He was just trying to right a wrong. He's just a good guy. You know, Um, and I think that that's a cop out. I think that if you want to make a really interesting character, make them responsible for what they do. Maybe he did something because they needed money and he was trying to take care of his family in the best way that he could. And he fucked up. And now he's actually sorry for it. But because he went after an evil corporation and took the money and returned it to the people that it had been stolen from... You know, that Robin Hood shit, it just is a missed opportunity to have somebody who really has to, again, struggle with what kind of person am I? What kind of choices have I made? And somebody who wants to make different choices now. Or even if, and I would have loved this, and I'll shut up in a minute and let you talk. I know I've been going on forever. But even if, I love this about him. I would have loved this if he was a good man who was very, very, very good at a bad thing. Like very, very, very good at these heists, right? When you're good at something, it's a thrill. It's a rush. And if the thing that you're good at is a bad thing, but you're a decent person, but it's a bad thing, but you want to do it because it's so fun. That's an internal struggle. And that brings you back again to what kind of person am I, you know? Um, And here he is. The heists are so fun. That would have even been fun. All right. I'm going to shut up because I just went on a whole long narrative rant and i'm going to give you a chance to actually say something
0: you're fine because i agree with almost all of that Mm -hmm. what we are supposed to get from judy greer is kind of a mess
1: Mm -hmm.
0: because so hmm, i know that some of what they're doing with child support is at least not remotely accurate in my state yeah. But other parts of it are you are actually on the hook for child support when you're in prison. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or at least right, but they she count can choose
1: it. to let him see his kid.
0: Yes. No, no, no. OK. Yeah. I should that's start my over.
1: issue. Not that, not that he's responsible over. for it.
0: We should never talk about child support in this movie. That is a stupid, stupid thing that mm-hmm. makes her a harpy for no reason. Yeah. Because of everything you're saying. She Mm -hmm. clearly thinks that he's still a good guy who made this one choice. She could even be mad at him that he did it and missed her daughter's life Yeah, up to that point. Like there's reasons for her to be mad at him that are legitimate that don't involve child support and being a deadbeat when he clearly is not a deadbeat. Well, he's
1: clearly trying. Like, he's clearly trying. She she knows where he is. She knows what he's doing. It's hard to get a job after you've gotten out of prison. He's been out of prison for, I don't know, 35 minutes. But also (laughs) his daughter clearly loves him. And to, to say that the kid, because she is saying, you can't see this child because I'm mad at you. Instead of this girl loves her father and hasn't seen her father in years and so now she's actually punishing the kid because the kid wants to see her dad.
0: The best way to handle this mm-hmm. is to make the new husband the very bad person.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who
0: is a cop and yeah. therefore hates ex-cons, even if they don't deserve to be hated. Hmm. And so she has to navigate that. That maybe yeah. that's not as sympathetic as we would like for her, but it's more sympathetic than pay me. It's
1: better than, than this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And here's where that rework Mm -hmm. makes me so happy in 2019. Yeah. Because I do like that Robin Hood shit. Mm -hmm. Go rob rich people. Yeah. And give that money to people who aren't rich. I am 1,000. I'm just ready for the police to show up at my door. I am (laughs) 1,000% behind that plan. I have no skills for it, so I can't do it, but I'm all over that. Uh And then go to jail for it. That shows Mm -hmm. you're an awesome guy who was willing to do the right thing, even though you knew it would cost you. I love that. And since I have some issues with policing in the year of our Lord, 2019, (laughs) having the cop be an asshole who won't let a child see the father she loves because Mm -hmm. he's an ex-con for the right reason is chef kiss for me personally. And an additional layer to that is it really redeems partially, at least what's going on with Judy Greer because yeah. we can also see that Cassie clearly has strong, positive feelings for her new stepfather. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's clearly a good guy who's wrong about this one thing. He's just right. deeply wrong about it. And yes. that's a thing that I could look at a wife and say, this is very difficult. You're maybe not being as fair to your ex-husband as you should be but I get this you know what I mean?
1: Right. Well you're caught between that space right and right. if this guy has convinced her you know that that he can't be trusted he's been in jail you don't know what he's like anymore you don't know this guy anymore something like that I don't know but it's all but the thing is is that this is all like the central conflict of this story doesn't have anything to do with all of this and I like, I like yes. the relationship between Scott and Cassie but um it it's so divergent from everything else you know and it doesn't really it has to do with motivating him because he wants money but it doesn't have to do with specifically motivating him to do this specific heist because he needs to and like if he was the one who was Going out and finding Hank Pym and saying, yeah, I need money. I see that you're having this problem. I think I can fix it for you, you know, by doing this heist. And then Hank Pym is like, hey, guess what? I got a suit or something like that. I mean, I don't know. Just if Scott was actually active in the pursuit of what he's doing. Mm -hmm.
0: I have a thing for that that ties into the Robin Hoodness, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe Hank doesn't offer him just nebulous help or whatever. He offers him a job. Right. Yeah. yeah, Like like doing electrical engineering things and being a respectable member of society. And Mm -hmm. then that cop would have to, like, chill out. Right. Yes. Cop dad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And because Hank is who he is, he's like, but you got to do one more giant illegal thing. And so Scott is stuck there doing that thing for legitimacy. And here's the beauty part. This is for me. This is where the Robin Hood stuff would have sung. Mm -hmm. He is there and he realizes Mm -hmm. that Hank has a similar problem, not the same problem, but a similar problem between himself and Hope that Scott has with Cassie. Mm -hmm. I did the right thing, it cost me everything, and I didn't know how to deal with my daughter after that. And Scott's actually already solving that problem. So if he decides to stick around and do this incredibly shady thing, not just to help himself, but to help Hank, like he on the label realizes that's a thing he's doing, yeah, I love this. You no, know.
1: I mean I think that that's great. And the Robin Hood thing, like the thing that I don't like about that is that it's it's one of those things that a lot of times we do because we want our character, we want the oh, he just got out of jail and he's got to build his life again, all the but we don't want to allow him to be a questionable dude,
0: yeah, right? Yeah. We don't
1: want to allow for that that moral nuance. You know, I like the Robin Hood Robin Hood vigilante thing in general. You know, um, I know, because
0: one of our other promised but will never probably come to fruition podcast is about leverage.
1: Oh, leverage. Yes, I love that. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I like it, but I don't like it when it's when it's used as an excuse because we want our guy to be bad, but we don't want him to be real bad. You know, Um and we don't, you know, we want to, like, give him this moral spit shine, you know. So, yeah, he's coming out of jail and he's been through all this and everybody's mad at him. But he's such a good dude. Look what he did. You know, um, he gave the money back to the poor, you know. So that kind of thing, like, I find it to be a, a, a cheap kind of cop out on that stuff. But if you're using that, if you're using that for more than just this, you know, spit shine on his backstory, so we're yeah. d- we don't worry about him being a bad guy. If you use it as an actual motivation for what he does and that he loves, like he's he's a good guy who started doing these things because he saw these wrongs and wanted to right them and then he got caught. And now he still wants to do those things because not just writing wrongs, but it was fun. Right. You know, like I, I would, Completely be a hundred percent behind that, you know. But if he's the one who is motivating it, you know. But all of this, this entire um, narrative structure, is motivated by Hank Pym, yeah, who is, is not our most interesting character.
0: I mean, I think I think on paper, like what he mm-hmm. has going on, is more interesting in a lot of ways than what mm-hmm. Scott has going on. But yeah. Michael Douglas's charisma is so different from oh. paul rudd's and who's paul gonna rudd be in is, a
1: room with paul rudd and out charisma paul
0: rudd i mean yeah yeah like yeah, the wattage it's, it's is just impossible. turned way down yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um on michael douglas mm-hmm. and so i mean i think he is actually more interesting if you just kind of bullet point it out you know yeah but mm-hmm. then the camera stays on scott and scott is so much more charismatic yeah that we're we're left in this this kind of limbo space where we we are rooting for both of them and we're rooting for both of them together but we're not really sure why we aren't just rooting for hope yeah i'm gonna stop beating that horse right now
1: (laughs) no but it's true i mean it's really true um so uh the other bright spot though i mean it's secondary character but Luis (laughs) is is like what you don't like Luis?
0: No, is he a secondary character? I mean, oh, technically, yes, but my God.
1: Oh, no. He's, he is so wonderful. I love this when he picks um, Scott up from prison. And Scott's <laughs> like, well, how's your girl? And he's like, she left me. My mom died. My dad got deported. But I got the van. And I'm yeah. like, "I in that moment, he had my heart. And it just never. I also love the drunk history style story <laughs> retelling with Luis. That is <gasps> Fucking brilliant! I love it. It's delightful.
0: I am waiting for the opportunity to describe a situation that I can end with, but the rosé saved the day.
1: But the rosé saved the day. That's a delight. Oh, I would have said the rosé was delightful, and I was like, "I love you." That's a man after my own heart. The rosé
0: was delightful. It was really saving the day, Luis.
1: (laughs) It is. Wonderful, Luis is one of the best characters, and the way that they deal with him and the way that they and he's what a sweet what a sweetheart that man has I mean yeah. he just he's just the sweetest thing, and Michael Pena does this wonderful you know um wonderful acting job with that character, and then just you know on top of it, sherry's on top of the Sunday, the drunk history you know <laughs> visual retelling of his stories um it's so fantastic i just i love the whole thing
0: the the thing that brings louise together for me is the fact that that guy is so sweet and optimistic
1: yes. yes and just
0: loves life and he is also prepared to do some fucking crimes
1: oh yes oh just yes like he is
0: crimes yes, he is are they big crimes? no but there is no end of them let's do some but crimes prepared.
1: oh and also this tip like okay, that's the other thing in the plan, right? Luis gets this tip that they have to go through all this trouble to break into a safe, and they don't know what's in it. <laughs> I'm I'm assuming there's something good in it, you know. The okay, safe but is from that's the,
0: a what? reasonable assumption.
1: Okay, no, maybe the safe is from 1910. The safe itself, in its own, is valuable because it's like a historical <laughs> antique and whatever. Like. <laughs> and scott
0: destroyed it that's delightful and
1: scott destroyed it exactly like the whole thing is um it's just but also like if scott is going to risk everything right and this is everything he gets caught doing this that's huge right so um he's gonna risk everything on the chance that there's something cool in this safe yeah are you kidding me now that just makes scott look dumb
0: Either he needed to be more desperate or Hank needed to be more obvious with his tip.
1: What Hank needed to do was not give the tip at all because that's stupid. Just (laughs) go to him and say, hey, I have a job for you person who is looking for a job. No, it's true. You know, I mean, yes. Granted, I like the heist. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like it. But Scott. okay, let's say Scott's a Robin Hood, right? He sees Hank Pym. He sees the stuff. Maybe Hank Pym did some shady shit in the day. Maybe there's stuff that he can do that he can like rob. And he can also get some money for himself in the process. And he can do the thing that he loves to do and does well. And then goes after him, gets the suit, is able to use the suit. And it's at that moment that Pym is like dropping all the charges against him and saying, hey, you do this thing for me. I drop the charges. You get your life back. Or I can just let the charges stand but i need you to use this suit. There you go. Boom boom boom. You've got Scott. His motivation makes all of this happen. You still get the heist, right? But it's not stupid. It's yeah, not a yeah. stupid risk to take.
0: I can't int- i mean, i really like how half-assed they are as professional criminals. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes.
0: But They're i can't cute. disagree with as far as motivations go. There were we've we have just created two or three better ways. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, if they had just to come with. to us in the first... Marvel, just bring your shit to us first. Let us do a pass at it. We'll fix your problems. It's fine.
0: <laughs> Don't even credit us if you pay us enough. Damn.
1: If you pay us enough, yeah, just bring it to me. I will fix it before you embarrass yourself with this shit. Um, so, yeah, I um, looking at this overall... I love a lot of this movie. I deeply enjoy. It. I think that the the aesthetics of it, the um like the visuals of the the b- growing big and growing small and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I think that was beautiful. The effects are beautiful. The direction is really nice. I mean, it's not Edgar Wright, but it's really nice. No,
0: but a lot of the Edgar Wright DNA, like, still filtered through. Yes. I think
1: yes, mm-hmm. and
0: including including I think probably some of the stuff you want to see about a criminal doing something that they're good at because they're good at not because they want to be a criminal because that's basically baby driver
1: there you go absolutely you know absolutely yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of good stuff so it's uh it's 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 tough because i was bored for most of the movie if Michael Pena wasn't on screen, I was bored. If he was if Luis was in a scene, I was okay. Um <laughs> I, I didn't care when it was just like Hank and um and hope. Like, cause even though like I think that you're right, hope is is much, much more interesting. And, you know, if we could maybe just not have men deciding everything for this woman, you know? We even yeah. have this moment when um at the beginning, when they're having the meeting, when Darren is, is having Hank in for the meeting, you know, to like mm-hmm. basically say a big fuck you to, to him, um, he, he talks to, he pulls Hank aside, talking about hope, and he's like, Don't worry, she's in good hands. Um, you know, she is a grown goddamn woman and doesn't need your hands anywhere near her, asshole. You don't like that whole patriarchal kind of like, Don't worry, I'm taking care of the little lady. You know, you don't have to worry about her because she can take care of herself. Step back asshole and then he kills a sheep I was like no <laughs> no you can't kill a sheep that's wrong you know so I mean yeah that's pure evil but um no, so I, I don't know yeah
0: what <laughs> Yes. Darren is not very interesting and he's a giant Mm -hmm. douche bro. And him saying that to Hank is a good line to establish him as a douche bro. Yes. But the fact that it kind of reflects on what Hank is doing the entire rest of the movie.
1: That's exactly what Hank's doing the whole time. No, No, you can't go. You can't go because I decide what you can and cannot do. And we get to a place where
0: we have sympathy for that. Right. Thanks to Scott. But it's 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 a rough reflection throughout most of the movie. It's not Super great.
1: Right. But why can't... Okay, first of all, she could get that suit any damn time she wants to. She needs his permission? No, she doesn't. She's also got a bad relationship with him, so it's not like she's afraid of hurting his feelings. If we had had him say to her, no, I'm so sorry, I have, I'm have. i asking you not to do this for me because I can't lose you. If he had been straightforward with her and told her that and that was the reason why she chose not to just take that damn suit and do what she was going to do anyway, then... Fine. But the fact that we have this woman being told what to do by various idiot men around her, you know, and just and yes. just being like, oh, daddy says no. So I can't do it now. I'm so frustrated. No, you can get up. You know where that suit is. You can get to put it on if you want to, you know. So um, so the whole thing that irritates me throughout the whole thing, because they're just like sit down and she's like, OK, you know, no, she I... she's doesn't need to do that.
0: I agree very much. And I kind of want to say that it's not as bad as all that because there is this whole like father-daughter thing going on, but it, Mm -hmm. then he, but then she and Scott get together at the end for no apparent reason. And I'm just like, fuck this shit.
1: Well yeah, and also like we we do very little to actually build up I mean, they do have the training session. I like the training sequence too. I thought that was yes. fun. Um and Scott building up his his skills. But her her kissing Scott at the end, she it's It's even like we we don't even see the moment. No. Like when they first kiss. It's just that Hank opens the door and walks in on them. But also it feels very much like, oh, Scott, you did this thing. Now you are being rewarded, but we are giving you the lady, you know, rather than it being something that she would necessarily choose at that point.
0: I agree with all of that. They have done exactly one thing Mm -hmm. to set up Hope being interested in Scott. Exactly one.
1: Put and that, that on a is slow her burn. hair. You're gonna have other movies, yeah.
0: Her hair is clearly evidence that Hope sometimes makes really poor life decisions.
1: <laughs> yeah, you really don't like that hair.
0: It's aggressively bad, I, and I'm not saying on everybody. I'm saying <laughs> on Evangeline Lilly.
1: It's that not that hair it's, is not
0: doing anybody any favors. It's the it's worst thing great. in the MCU.
1: It's the worst.
0: thing It's in worse the than MCU. Ultron. <laughs>
1: Um. Hmm. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, it's definitely <laughs> bad. It's definitely it's very nineteen sixties. It's not the pixie
0: cut that I hate. I love a good pixie yeah. cut.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. That's Evangeline not a pixie Lilly's cut. Evangeline Lilly's face for bone structure.
0: Helmet. No good for the pixie cut.
1: Yeah. No. Um. No. It's not. Um. It's not great. Um. And it also. But I'm just saying
0: that does yeah, set up.
1: It does clearly. Set up that she, she has
0: made poor decisions in decisions. the past. <laughs> Here's Scott, a poor decision that she will make.
1: And Scott, well, no, Scott isn't even a decision. Scott isn't a choice. He he does this thing. He does the hero thing. So the the woman is awarded to him yeah, as no, a I... prize. So help is being throughout this entire movie pushed around where the men want her at any given time. She is not a character. She is a sex doll. There is yeah, nothing. It's not great. Yeah, no, it's really, really bad. So um, So I don't care for that. There's a lot of stuff, but I mean, for for the things that I love in this movie, like, I love the things I love a lot.
0: It's very so charming. To,
1: yeah, to be so incredibly bored by it. And I mean, you know, basically they've got a lot of narrative problems, and I think that's probably why it was so incredibly boring. Um, But uh, but yeah, like, I just was like, okay, so fine, you know, whatever. Like, I, I just couldn't get into it as much as... And, and that's with as much as I love Paul Rudd, as incredibly charming as Paul Rudd is. All of these things this movie has going for it, and it really just kind of felt flat for me.
0: That's hard to argue with. I mean, to paraphrase *Pulp Fiction*, that better be one charming motherfucking pig, and right. and I think that's what we get. Like we yeah. we largely enjoy mm-hmm. *Ant-Man* because yeah. it's got a lot of moxie, you yeah, know. Yeah, it sure does. But don't don't look too closely. You're gonna be mad about hope. You're going to be mad yeah. about why none of this quite fits together mm-hmm. well enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lonnie, I have to talk about how bad the superhero science is in this movie. And listen, longtime time a-holes know <laughs> that I am here for superhero science.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. But there is
0: a significant problem with this one because it is the crux of the big finish. And it's also how okay. we lost Jan. Okay. Now. Think back, our big deal is he has to go subatomic so he can fit through the molecules of titanium. Yes. And get in there and mess stuff up. Yes. But then he's going to get lost in the quantum realm. Except Mm -hmm. if you get that small, you have to get bigger to mess stuff up. (laughs) Right. We see him break wires and shit in there.
1: Right, but he's, yes,
0: yes. Now, listen, I don't want to care about this.
1: Mm -hmm. they made
0: it really important (laughs) and just for the record like i don't go i do not go into marvel movies looking for shit to be annoyed by okay Mm -hmm. i am not that person i am clearly watching them critically so i mean i have you know i have to pay attention but no lie i was sitting there in the theater when they did the story in the middle of the movie about how they lost jan and i was like yeah but she had to get bigger to bust up the innards of the missile (laughs) y'all and then they do it again at the end and i was like yeah "Mm, i don't like it
1: yeah i mean i didn't really think about it but you're right
0: (laughs) i and again i don't show up looking for these things but in the middle of the movie the first time i saw it i was like but wait how did she break stuff she was the size of an electron
1: yeah so all right joshua out of this whole movie what's your favorite part
0: training montage Mm mm-hmm i love training montages yes they're pretty great i mean training montages as a whole are pretty amazing and i love them in you know 70s kung fu movies i mm-hmm. you know just everything just level up on screen with a cool soundtrack is great and mm-hmm. the fact that during the training montage we actually saw scott not only get better but also up their plan you know like yes. no look you guys this is how you rob shit. you know mm-hmm. Um, and tinkering with the suit like that never really came to much, but right. he tinkered with the suit. So mm-hmm. I really like the training montage as a whole. What about yeah. yourself, Lonnie?
1: Oh, drunk history, Luis, drunk yes. history, Luis for the win. Favorite part of the whole thing.
0: <laughs> I can't disagree clearly. Cause I wanted to top the show with it. So
1: I know it's fantastic. It's real good stuff. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh and the hashtag is Listen Up Aholes. holes
0: This episode of Listen Up A-Holes was brought to you by Chipperish producer Alyssa from Dallas. Alyssa supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward, gets to break into a place and steal some shit. Thank you Alyssa. Thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions and makes Listen Up A-Holes a thing
1: find out how you too can become a Listen Up Ales producer, visit the Patreon links in the show notes. Producer level support options are available at both Pulp Diction Productions and Chipperish Media.
0: You can also show your support by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for people to find us and join in the conversation. Links are in the show notes.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Agent Carter Season 2, Episodes 1 to 3. I don't know if you can hear the excitement in my voice, but it is absolutely there. Until then, Baskin Robbins always finds out, bro.
0: Baskin Robbins don't play.